take my child uh, baseball bat and I do three wood knocks on this stump. Mm-hmm. And then from behind me on the right comes a growl so loud that it vibrated my right ear. Oh, no. <laughs> and I turn and I go, oh. You did that? A huff. I did that. I responded with what I call a huff. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you all for joining us, and special thank you goes out to all of you who continue to support the podcast and continue to spread the word. Always remember, if any of you out there have experiences of your own that you'd like to share, feel free to email me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Again, paranormalportalradio at gmail.com, and you too could be a guest on the show. Welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure to get messages from all the new listeners out there who found the show. And if you're just finding the show, please drop me an email and and say hello. I'd like to to see who's out there paying attention. Please send me an email at paranormalportalradio.com at gmail.com. So we got a fantastic episode lined up for you guys today. And uh, this one is is really exciting because it's uh, the opportunity to talk to a researcher and uh, a, a show host himself uh, over on the East Coast in the Pine Barrens. We're going to be talking to Eric Spinner of Squatch Talks, and uh, he's joining us. He's been researching the Bigfoot presence in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, and it's uh, not maybe not a place that many people would think of for Sasquatch, but let me tell you, there's lots of them over there, and there's lots of activity going on. So we're going to get right into it. All right, Eric, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Brent, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, you and I happened to meet when we talked to our good friends at uh, Bucks County Paranormal and when they were on the show with you. And I was fascinated by you know the, the, the work that you've been doing, what little bit I know about it. But I was like, yeah, man, we got to get you on the show and talk to you. So here you are, and we're going to dig into this. But... Um, how long have you been looking into this phenomena already? Probably since 2006 is when I got started doing some armchair research originally. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that's how it starts for a lot of us. You just you, you start to dig into the phenomena. And was this a phenomena that you knew was out there long before you started diving into it? Or was it just something that you stumbled upon? Or how did that work? Funny thing was, I was actually going through a separation at the time, and I was looking for something to kind of take me out of my own head, you know, from sure. being separated from my kids at the time. So oh, yeah. I got on the uh, computer, and I found the BFRO's website, and I was just amazed at the uh, sightings reports that were actually in our area. Yeah. And that's that's what did it, basically. You know, I think it was probably, uh, to be honest with you, it was probably finding Bigfoot that really put it on the map for me because they were out there in uh, your area uh, mm-hmm. looking into this stuff. And I was, I would have never guessed. I mean, I, I guess by this time I was already familiar with the idea that Bigfoot was a national phenomena and international as well. But, you know, when I first learned about it, it was just Pacific Northwest. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're everywhere. And, sure. You know, because I, I think we oftentimes, 
we think about the East Coast as this well-developed area of our nation. It's like the first place that was really built up and and how had people uh, regularly in it. And then, of course, the civilization spanned westward, and and you know after quite some time. But there mm-hmm. is still great big stands of natural pristine forest over there, isn't there? There sure is. We've got 1.2 million acres in the uh, Pine Barrens, and it's pristine. There's a uh, flora and fauna here that are unique to this area. Oh, sure. Yeah, that I, that really surprised me because, of course, when you hear about New Jersey, as you and I were talking about when you were on the portal, it's like you think of Jersey. Mm-hmm. You think of the Sopranos. Hey, <laughs> forget about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it uh, turns out you guys have a whole bunch of of beautiful wildlands that are pretty much untouched and and are those are those those are national forest or state forest or what do they what do they equate as? We have state forests, but there's also a lot of privately owned land as well with cranberry farmers, blueberry farmers, that sort of thing. You know, oh. of course, other crops. So there's plenty of uh, food and uh, water. You know, we have a K and C aquifer here, which is some of the finest water around. Oh, nice! And of course, you know, tons of. Uh, ground coverage to conceal these individuals. Right. And so you stumbled on it through the BFRO, but at what point did you start going out and, and seeing what you could find or how long have you been doing that? Well, fairly quickly, actually. In that first couple of years from 2006 to 2008, I was you know, participating a lot in the Blue Board discussion at the time and, and getting to speak with other researchers from other areas. And we were kind of, you know, just tossing ideas back and forth and I then became interested in the outdoors and started going out on hikes during the day, a lot of solo hikes. And mm-hmm. and that just really started for me. And again, it was on holidays and things when I would normally be with my kids, I'd be out in the woods and mm-hmm. you know just keep it out of my own head. Yeah. So that's when it began. And I, I started to share what I was finding with individuals in the Pacific Northwest and other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And from there, it just grew. So by 2008, I actually attended my first expedition. Wow. And, and are there quite a few uh, people that are enthusiastic and, and actively investigating over in that region as well? There are. Uh, okay. I would say there's probably a half a dozen of us in New Jersey as far as members of that organization. Plus, I, I co-founded NASBRO, which stands for North American Sasquatch Bigfoot Researchers Organization, okay. back around 2010, 2011. Uh, my co-founder, Art Mack, and I you know, are... Uh, big in, you know, communicating with other researchers and mm-hmm. trying not to cross-contaminate our, our areas, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a there's a good handful of us here that are doing it in New Jersey. And of course, we're always having, you know, inquiries from people who wish to become members and, and become investigators. Yeah, I, I think that that's the fascinating part of all of this is that uh, you certainly are common age, this is, or our, our modern age, rather. It's, it's much more acceptable to have these discussions than ever before. And it's really interesting how many people are kind of coming out of the woodwork and yeah, I'm into that, or I've experienced this, or either they're experiencers or they're enthusiasts, but more common than not, I would say that people, most people seem to have at least a passing interest in what's going on with these things. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And you said it earlier, finding Bigfoot really brought a a lot of attention to it. And, And of course, during that time period, we got tons of new you know, reports submitted. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were, of course, from maybe some young fans who thought they might have heard something strange out there. Sure. You know, instead of the tabloid, mm-hmm. you know, Bigfoot got me pregnant kind of things <laughs> we would see while we were waiting in line at the supermarket, you sure. know? Yeah. Um, and of course, there's uh, other 
people out there like Dixie Cryptid who tell stories and, and mm-hmm. he gets tons of emails from these people who feel comfortable sharing their encounters. Right. So it has grown a great deal. I don't keep it a secret. Obviously, yeah. I'm like the only health food store in America with a uh, a Bigfoot museum built inside. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't keep it a secret because, hey, guess what? People come to me and they say, hey, you know what? I had something strange happen out in the Pine Barrens, you know, and uh, wow. it's a way for me to follow up with them. That's fascinating. And um, as far as activity goes, how does the New Jersey area compare, would you suppose, to other regions? Like obviously the Pacific Northwest is pretty pretty busy for reports and people seeing stuff, especially Washington. But uh, how mm-hmm. about other regions? How, how much activity do you have going there? It depends. It really, weather conditions do you know affect our activity levels and the spring and the fall are definitely the most active times, but we've had activity throughout wintertime and summertime as well. I have been to British Columbia, so we had literally activity every day there. It was crazy how much, you know, went on on a daily basis. So I would have to say there's not as many of them here mm-hmm. in the Pine Barrens, of course, but I would say it compares to other states that are nearby like New York and uh, Pennsylvania. Okay, very good. And now, just out of curiosity, as a as a researcher and as a person who has, you know, been been researching the phenomena for quite a while, is there any distinction between behavioral things that are exhibited there versus anywhere else, or do you find that it's really about the same kind of activities, no matter where you are? There are distinctions, and it goes uh, back to what we started off saying with the whole forget about it. I mean, <laughs> I tell you, they, they act like Jersey squatches. You know, they might come in and, and play around with us for a, a moment or two and then, you know, decide they don't want anything to do with us and head out. Uh-huh. But then there's other, you know, other nights that we've had a, an hour-long, you know, back-and-forth conversation with one. Wow. Wow. So let's let's go back to, like, the first time when you were out in the – out in the uh, you know researching and stuff, what was it like to get the first encounter for you? Like where you knew something was right out there and and participating with you at least on some level was that terrifying or was it uh, intriguing? Where were you at in the head, in your headspace about this? <laughs> well, it, it was kind of a combination of both. Actually, I was out at a uh, a preserve. Mm-hmm. And I had a digital recorder with me and I was using a walking staff and I was just out hiking, you know, along these bogs because they're converted cranberry bogs. Okay. And I'll tell you, I, I climbed this little hill because Pine Barrens is awfully flat. You know, it's not like other hilly terrain areas you might be more familiar with. Uh-huh. So there was like a, a, a hill near this uh, tree farm. So I climbed up there and there was like some debris because it was a hill made probably by them pushing soil together right okay and so i i found some remnants of an old dam on the top and i had my staff and i just hit it three times onto this old dam you know plank and i did some knocks and i got a response and i was shocked of course you know this is the first time i'm getting any kind of response so i hold (laughs) up my digital recorder up in the air Uh and i managed to record these wood knocks so I was like, well, it sounded like it came from that direction. So I headed down the hill and across the meadow into the woods. And I took a a game trail into the forest and, you know, wound up coming out on another larger trail. And meanwhile, I'm thinking it's about a half mile to a mile away that they came from. Mm -hmm. But I was informed afterwards that the recorder I was using at the time, it was probably closer to 300 to 500 yards away. So I probably passed the individual (laughs) on my way (laughs) to go further into the woods, right? I come out on this trail and I'm I'm just walking down by myself. 
mm-hmm. and I, I'm seeing further down what looks to me to be like an arm and a shoulder peeking mm-hmm. out from behind a, t- a pine tree, right? And I'm kind of, you know, stopped and I'm swaying to see if I can see it better. And, and I'm, you know, my heart starts racing a little bit. I'm like, what is that? You know, they're all often it's reported that they're auburn colored individuals in this area. And that's what it looked like. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I get a little, I said, well, I'm, I, I headed towards it. And then I realized that it's, it's actually a dead branch from a pine tree that the needles oh. have turned brown and, you know, orangey. So that's... at that point I realized what it was and, you know, <laughs> I was safe. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the real challenge I think about these things is that, they they are masters of their environment they they are naturally in a ghillie suit all of the time you know and of course if you're if you're talking to people you know like uh, force recon snipers in the in the uh, marines they're wearing ghillie suits and there's a reason for that those Mm -hmm. they can blend in anywhere and everywhere they don't have a silhouette they don't stick out to our natural you know shape receptors it's just like they're they're just kind of this nebulous mass and that's how these things live. So I, yeah. I just can't imagine, be, you know, looking over and, and thinking, oh, my God, is that one? Now, I got to give you a lot of credit because you actually walked t- towards it, which I think I would probably be backpedaling a little bit because I, I just can't shake the idea that there are stories of of these beings that uh, is not so wonderful and cuddly and, and absolutely horrifying. And so how do you know which which version you're looking at there, you know? You never know. And, you know, there are, you know, these people who talk about them being all warm and fuzzy and all that. But we do hear some stories where they're a bit more intimidating. And Mm -hmm. I've had those experiences as well. It's funny. I just, you know, your listeners can't see it. So I actually put on my my hide and seek world champion shirt that I got from (laughs) one of my, uh, you know, I won't say fans, but out in Colorado. And they are the master of illusion, you know. So. Literally, I'm sure I've walked past them many times where they just go down on their belly, you know what I mean? And they're just concealing themselves. Mm-hmm. And and one time I was out on a hike. It was 2009 or 2010. It was Thanksgiving morning and it snowed lightly overnight. Mm-hmm. And I went out and I'm hiking by these abandoned railroad tracks, right? So I cross over the tracks. I uh, actually urinate on a tree. And then I see a stump and I, I take my child uh, baseball bat and I do three wood knocks on this stump. Mm-hmm. And then from behind me on the right comes a growl so loud that it vibrated my right ear. Oh, no. <laughs> and I turn and I go, Whoa. You did that? Huff. I did that. I responded oh. with what I call a huff. Okay. Wow. And, another, and then a second growl. And I went, Whoa. again. <laughs> And then another growl. This is the third growl. And that, at that point, I'm thinking, you know, I'm about three miles from my car. I'm holding a child's baseball bat as my only, you know, defense. Sure. And I said, hello, how are you? Because at this point, I had turned to face where the sound had come from, right? Right. And I'm not seeing anything. And, you know, it was winter. It was November 26th or whatever, right? And there's, like, very little leaves on the trees or whatever. And it's, of course, a lot of pine trees. But I couldn't see where it came from. Mm. So I said, you know, hello, how are you? And does this mean you don't want me here? (laughs) And I think I actually told you this story. And and, and at that point, I I said, okay, I'm leaving. And I Mm -hmm. turned and I went back up onto the railroad tracks. And I turned and waved. Went back down onto the other side, back onto the trail I came in on, and I started hiking back 
towards my car. I get about halfway back to the car, and on my right, I see a game trail going through a grove of mountain laurels. And I'll tell you, they love mountain laurels, it seems. They use them for, I think, nursery areas and, you know, shelter. Mm -hmm. I've seen evidence of this in a lot of my travels, okay? And Uh I go through the trail. I come out on a clearing. And like I said, it had snowed lightly overnight. I find a line of tracks in the snow, tightrope fashion, only about 12 inches in length, nothing huge. Right. But you could see the toe impressions, okay? And who walks around barefoot in the in the woods, right? <laughs> right. And so I they weren't photo-worthy because it had snowed lightly into the toes, right? Sure. And so I, I kept going. And at the end of the trail was a uh, – at the clearing, I mean, was another game trail entrance. Mm-hmm. And there was an X. Oh. There was an arch. Mm-hmm. And a tree twisted off and snapped off about five, five and a half feet off the ground. And I went, hmm. <laughs> this looks like a good place to put a trail camera up. Oh, nice. Okay. So I did. <laughs> I wow. had some apples with me and I had some Alpo dog food and I opened the can up and I stuck it in the top of the tree and I put out the camera and then I went, you know, turned and left and went back to my car. And this is a half hour after getting growled at. <laughs> <laughs> heard like three trees get pushed over that night and i heard wood knocks that sounded like artillery fire oh my god okay gosh. and i'm going yeah here we go this is going to be great <laughs> you know And and whatever happened with that? I mean, were you? Did you find anything, or did they come and take the apples? No results. No results with the photos. Of course, I have yeah. had a couple of images that I've gotten oh, over cool. the years, but nothing conclusive. Of course, they're always blurry. You know, this right. one's blurry. This one's blurry. They're all blurry. You know? Sure. But uh, yeah. But yeah. now we, uh, you know, we try it out many times, and I I do use some trail cameras in our in our in, you know mm-hmm. investigations and whatever, but expeditions. Uh, but nothing came of that experience except for the fact that I got growled at, and I'll never forget it. I I just can't imagine if you've had you know I I have had what I believe to be one growling behind me, and it was a I was only fourteen at the time. I was very young, but uh, it was the most terrifying moment of my life because I didn't know what it was. I didn't have a vocabulary for it being a Bigfoot. I just knew it was something huge. And this is in northeastern or southeastern Minnesota, where the biggest thing we had was white-tailed deer. So I, I didn't mm-hmm. know. I was up in the forest with a friend, and and they had this growling. Now, I I I wasn't frozen like I could. I I, but I didn't dare move because I didn't want to look. I didn't want to do anything to further uh, to intimidate this situation. But also, I didn't want to see what it looked like because I didn't know what it was, but I was convinced I was about to die. And I was like, wow. that's the one thing I can take with me is that I never, I didn't have to see it as it, you know, killed me, you know, for whatever, <laughs> whatever that's worth. But this is my 14 year old mind. Like, nope, I'm not looking. I'm going to be, you know, like the, if I would have had a blanket, I would have put it over my head, you know, but, right. but I, I just wouldn't have dreamt of going, you know, like that in, in, because I mean, my hat's off to you is what I'm saying, essentially, in a really roundabout way, because that takes some kahunas, you know? I mean, you've got some, some like, titanium kahunas cooking there, brother. Well, either that or I was a pretty big, you know, an idiot, because I really didn't have much experience out in the field at that point. I think it was after my first 
expedition, though, when I actually went okay. out to the Allegheny National Forest with the, the BFRO in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I actually had one come up to my uh, tent in oh. the early morning hours. And that was my first experience, though, really, with a, a creature coming up. And I was with a, a another friend I met, Todd Prescott. He's a he's a really um, unbelievable researcher, and he's got probably the best collection of uh, Bigfoot, you know, memorabilia and mm -hmm. literature. He got it from John Green and and uh, Larry Lund and a few other people, Chris Murphy. Nice. Um, but I'll tell you what, he and he and I stayed an extra night, and we went back to a campsite which had a thermal sighting two nights earlier. Wow. So we were there on Sunday. We hiked around, you know, did some day scouting. Mm -hmm. And then at night, we probably hiked for close to three hours through these forestry roads. Wow. Got back to our campsite. Didn't have any activity throughout the hike. But it was cool just knowing that we were walking past a tree that two nights earlier had a, you know, seven and a half foot tall squatch standing there, you know. Right. <clears throat> so we actually get back around 4 a.m. And uh, he says, well, hey go in the tent and hope for the best, right? So as I'm getting in the tent, he radios me and he says, hey, I just heard a scream, come on back out. And we, you know, we get out, we walk down the, the road a little further to the swampy area and we therm it, nothing. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we come back in, now it's closer to 4.30. He goes, all right, go in your tent, say a prayer and hope for the best. So I went in my tent, I laid down on my back and I said a prayer and then not five minutes later, I, I can hear as well as feel these footfalls coming from the road, the direction that the road was in over a berm towards the uh, tent. And it comes around to where my head is. And and, I, and the moon was just setting, you know what I mean? It was kind of in between that daylight sure. and the moon setting kind of stage. Mm -hmm. And I saw a silhouette and it crouches down by my head and it takes a deep breath. It goes... And then the next thing I know, there's four fingers pressing into the tent fabric oh right gosh. over my head. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and my heart is pounding in my yeah. chest at this point. I had a, a walkie-talkie in my hand, so I clicked the button three times. I didn't want to talk into it and, and, and radio Todd and scare the poor thing. you know. Right. So I just clicked the button three times. Nothing. No response. Just then I hear what sounds like an approaching vehicle coming up the forestry road. And this was all on gas lines and stuff out in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So we were located at a site which was at a 90 degree turn. So just before this vehicle would have came around the turn and illuminated it with its headlights, it stood up and took off. And you could hear it running through camp over the firing, and it was running, you could tell bipedally. When it hit the, the brush at the end of the campsite, you could tell, you know, wow. into the into the uh, the brush. And, you know, I clicked my radio again three times, nothing, no response. Then I hear what sounds like machinery starting up. So I thought, oh, that was probably one of these gas line workers or somebody. Turns out it was a switching station down the road. But anyway, then Todd comes on the radio. He says, you're all right over there? I said, were you walking around outside my tent? He goes, no, I wasn't walking around outside your tent. <laughs> so, of course, at that point, the adrenaline and everything and the fear, I, I quickly passed out. But <laughs> five minutes later, this creature came back into camp and Todd heard, heard it coming back. Oh my so God. he had a thermal mounted on a monopad. Mm -hmm. And so he tried unzipping his tent flap so he could stick the therm out the uh, flap. But the creature came back through the middle of our campsite. And so he wasn't able to get it up high enough over the dome of the tent. So he didn't see it. Sure. I had a digital recorder in the flap of my tent, but it was facing the game 
trail to my left, and mm. his was facing the swamp to his right. Oh. We were about 50 feet apart. Sure. And the funny thing is, like, we had, and he had a digital recorder also on the camp table. Both of us, you know, after we got home and reviewed the audio, neither one of us heard any of the footfalls or any of the crashing through the brush. Wow. I mean, it's like, you know, the curse of Sasquatch, I call it. Yeah, for sure. But I remember waking up at 10 a.m. or around there and Todd's all packed up and he's got his tent all ready to go and everything goes, hey, go grab your trail camera. I'll I'll help you with your tent. (laughs) We we basically said our goodbyes and headed home. You know, he had to go all the way back up to Canada. eh? Wow. And uh, (laughs) New Jersey. Yeah. So uh, we actually went back out a couple of weeks later, three weeks later, actually, we got together and we went back out again. And, uh, yeah, we were gluttons for punishment. (laughs) (laughs) And when I pulled up, it's funny, he he got there like 10, 15 minutes before I did. Uh And so when I pulled up, I get out of my car or the truck at the time and I hear a tree get pushed over and I look over at him and I said, they're here. (laughs) (laughs) It's a typical poltergeist entry there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. So what does that feel like to be laying in a tent? And hearing something come up, squatting, seeing a silhouette, and then seeing the fingers pushing in. I mean, I can't. Right over my head. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine more horror than that because, again, these things are so amazingly powerful. And it wouldn't take them much to just, you know, smash you into pudding, you know? And if it was a bear, right, the claws would have torn through that fabric like nothing. Sure. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's yeah. funny. You want to hear something funnier? Absolutely. I was, like I said, I was from New York, so I didn't do much camping on Long Island, right? And <laughs> okay. so this was my first experience, and I had saved up my Marlboro uh, wrappers, and I had gotten a Marlboro tent. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This little dome green tent. That was, And it's funny. I still have it for oh, some awesome. reasons. <laughs> but, like. I'm not even kidding. Like the, I, I was thinking about it actually last night. Believe it or not, I was thinking about this and like, what did that feel like? Yeah. I mean, not too many people can say they experienced something coming up on them and pressing in right over their head. I'm laying on my back, so I'm like literally looking at the fingers right mm-hmm. over my head, and I could only see four of them, but they were long, right? And and I had seen the silhouette, so I knew it wasn't, right. you know. A bear, right? And and I'll tell you, it was pretty pretty scary. I have okay. to say, my heart was pounding out of my chest. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, because that could be that could be this amazing close contact, <coughs> or it could be a moment of 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 absolute terror. You know, I mean, you just don't know how to evaluate those situations when they're happening because you don't know which way is going to go. That's what I, I think that's so brave. And, and again, my hat's off to you because I, I really think that's what it takes though. And, and here's the thing in a lot of, in a lot of research, especially in the paranormal, you see these teams going somewhere and they're looking for ghosts. And, and so mm-hmm. they go in and then a door slams and they're running out of the building. It's like, what exactly were you there for? <laughs> you know? I hear you. It, that always blows me away. I'm like, dude, why? <laughs> I actually, we watched a movie last night with uh, John Cusack and, uh, and um, oh, my God, Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. It was called uh, 1408, right? Okay. And he's supposed to be, he's an author, and he's supposed to be, like, doing paranormal-type research. 
and he's you know he's got a a, a record a tape recorder to sure. record his thing. But I'm like I'm like yelling at the screen like why don't you have an EMF going? Why don't you have a camera <laughs> set up? You know what I mean? If I was in a in a place that supposedly had this kind of activity, mm-hmm. I would have gone and been prepared. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not even a paranormal researcher. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, and and so. The, you know, oftentimes you hear, I, you know, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I've heard certainly through the course of doing this show, talking to researchers, how they got so freaked out and they left. But I think it's, it really is going to take someone that'll stick in the pocket, you know, like the, like the quarterback when the, you know, the line's rushing and it's like, you still going to mm-hmm. stick in the pocket and do your job. And, and that's what I think it's going to take is somebody that's willing to push through that fear and that trepidation in order to see what does come next, you know, and well, perhaps there's going to be that, that beautiful piece of evidence that, you know, can justify these uh, beings to a lot more people. No doubt. And and I, I don't mean to sound like I'm beating my chest, but you know no. what, when my team goes out mm-hmm. on these expeditions, we're the ones who come home with this uh, audio recordings with the, you mm-hmm. know, with the activity, the thermal sightings and things. And that's because I won't quit. Right. I usually go in the furthest. Yeah. My team's always like, hey, you know, I'm not going with you because you're going to go hiking for two hours to the furthest <laughs> point, you know, the highest elevation. Sure. And and so, like, that's my reputation is that mm. we go out and we get these results because we don't turn around and run, run, you know, right. with our tails stuck between our legs. We're, we're, we're serious about it, you know, sure. and that's why we have all these stories to share. Right. I mean, I've, I've, I'm not in the camp that I think they exist. You know, yeah. I'm actually in the knowing camp because I've had two visual sightings. Let's and let's talk about those because those are really fascinating as well. At least one of them I, I know, um, but for sure. But uh, I'm, you may have mentioned the other one too. So by all means, take us through these. Well, the first time I actually, I mean, aside from, like I said, seeing the silhouette in PA, I went out sure. next to the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, that's that's like God's country out there, man. That's, that's, that's where all the activity is in okay. B.C., Canada. Yeah. So I was there on an expedition and it was, you know, unbelievable, the activity, as I mentioned. But on the last day, <clears throat> I didn't get the in my face encounter that I was hoping for. Because okay. I'll tell you, it, we were at this place called No Name Lake and there's supposedly a nine and a half foot all black covered, you know, hair covered squash there. And we heard like three trees get pushed over that night. And I heard wood knocks that sounded like artillery fire. Oh, my God. Okay? Okay. And I'm going, yeah, here we go. This is going to be great, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And then this guy that was from Seattle turned on his camera equipment and went bloop. And that was it. Nothing after that. Okay. Oh. But I tried my best to, you know, elicit some type of response. Um, but the last day I was there, everybody had packed up and left. And I had stayed a, a day longer. I'm down in the river bottom and I just, you know, said my affirmations and my prayers and I, I look up, I'm sitting on this down tree. I look up on the hillside above me where the waterfall would have been if it wasn't a drought. And I see the head and shoulders of an auburn colored individual looking down at me about 70 feet away. Okay. And I went, Oh, that wasn't there a moment ago. (laughs) (laughs) I had a camera, a digital camera in my left hand and I lifted the camera up and I zoomed, but I'm right handed. So of course I took a picture and then I turn around because I remember somebody saying, well, if you take pictures over your shoulder, you might get them standing up and walking away, right? So right. I turn around, I take a couple of pictures over my shoulder, and I turn back around, and it's gone. I'm mm. like, damn, I should have kept looking at it. Yeah. Because <laughs> all I got were pictures of bushes, right? <laughs> 
So I took another picture for, you know, a comparison photo. I walked back up the hill to where base camp was, and I talked to the, exp- the expedition organizer, and I said, hey, I think I just saw a Sasquatch. And we took out my SD card, put it in his laptop, and we checked out the picture. He says, I think he just saw a Sasquatch. <laughs> so that one, when I was actually sitting there and I saw it, I didn't get feared up because it wasn't in my face. Sure. The hairs on my arms, both like, like both arms just stood up. And I had this calm come over me. Oh. It was really like not what I expected. Right. You know what I mean? But I didn't feel threatened because it was a distance away. And I was looking at it like, you know, am I seeing what I'm really seeing? Sure. But you can see in the blurry picture that I have the eye sockets. And you can see there's no hair around the eyes. And you can see the auburn, you know, mm-hmm. hair around the head and shoulders. Mm-hmm. And in the second photo, there's nothing, you oh. know? <laughs> But I'm just kind of swaying back and forth, trying to see. And then maybe 20 seconds later, it just slowly dropped down and extinguished. Yeah, that, that, that comes up all the time, too. People see them quick look away and look back and boom, they're gone. I mean, that's a, a story that's repeated uh, nearly over and over. Yeah, yeah. over and over. Yeah. It just takes one glance away and boom, they're gone. They're it happened to my wife on one of our expeditions. Actually, she was my girlfriend at the time, but she saw like the head, the, the, the shoulder and the arm of one behind a, a tree in the pine barrens and it just kind of swung and then it was gone. You know what I mean? But we, we were actually at this Creek at this riverside casting, juvenile as well as an adult female tracks when this happened okay so yeah it's just you never know that's the thing it's being in the right place at the right time and uh, i think you were talking about the story i told you about was my rodent cramp encounter yep yeah yeah could Mm -hmm. you go into that a little bit well, I was out with a Jersey Devil researcher, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I don't like to piss off the uh, the JD uh, enthusiasts, <laughs> but you know my, and I said this to you guys, I, my belief is that it's folklore that w- has been perpetuated mm-hmm. due to the fact that people have encounters with an eight foot tall, red you know glowing eyes creature that screams at them like a woman being killed out mm-hmm. in the forest, right? Sure. And their mind wraps around the Jersey Devil. Um, but I was with a, a friend of mine who did that type of research and we were out on St. Patty's day. It was in 2010 and in one of my areas and it was kind of misty and cold and you know, the weather wasn't great. So around 1230, I said, Hey, let's wrap it up, you know, and we're heading back. We're just talking about the tunes on the radio, nothing, nothing squatch related. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just as we're entering the, um, uh, the line of my township, something tears out in front of us. And I'm in my car at this time. Mm-hmm. I, I slam on the brakes. She slides forward with a bottled water between her legs. The water sprays all over. Mm-hmm. And she says, what the F was that? <laughs> and I turn and I said, dear. <laughs> she goes, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're right. It wasn't a deer, but it was a dead deer further up the road, right in the middle. So I do a UB, I turn around and I go back and I try to listen to hear if I hear anything crashing through the forest. And mm-hmm. I check the roadside as best I could for tracks. But, and you know, I, I, I just, that's the, where my mind wrapped around it. I thought deer, you know, I'm used to having them route, run out in front of us. So. Sure. Wow. And the next night, one of my customer's daughter-in-laws had the same exact situation happen at the same spot. 
And then a year later, another woman going in the opposite direction home from work had it happened to her. So, yeah, Eric oh, and I was kidding around when we did the uh, follow up investigation on one of our, uh, you know, uh, episodes. Uh-huh. He said, hey, you should just put a trail camera up here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I thought about it. but <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it is funny because I, I know trail cams get used a lot and with very little success. But I, I think there are some images that very well could be legitimate that I've seen. Um, I was shown sure. one that the person doesn't want to release it. Because, uh, you know, of course, anything you throw out there, it goes to the sharks and, and you get this feeding frenzy of egos and it gets to be a real mess. But uh, as far as what I can see, it looks really legitimate, like something in, and in a position uh, of movement that I don't believe a person could do. But at any rate, a lot of times trail cams aren't very successful. Now, interestingly enough, this image that I did see was captured during the daytime. They mm-hmm. seem to be able to see the, the infrared light or, or perhaps there's other indicators that they're getting that something is there and, and they don't like it. But they have this uncanny ability to avoid them. So it seems they seem to be aware of them. Would you agree? Oh, I totally agree. In fact, I mean, you know, like I said, I've gotten a few blurry images of some strange things over the years. But on my last expedition uh, with one of my co-hosts, Brian um, Spinner, um, up in New York, I left out two trail cameras, and I use no glow, and they're, they're mm-hmm. decent, you know, decent pieces of equipment. One back at the uh, at the base camp by the kitchen area, okay, mm-hmm. and the other one I left on a on a trail behind base camp where it split off, okay. And we've had we had some activity occur during this expedition where some of the attendees had things thrown at them, we heard things, that sort of thing, right? And it's it's actually near a gifting area that he had set up prior to the expedition, mm-hmm. and so. I hung up in the trees about eight feet up apples and apple cider donuts. Okay. Okay. Across the trail from where I placed the trail camera. Mm -hmm. And there were two apples in the tree above the camera in that tree. And so, you know, it was one of these deals where, you know, I'm assisting. So, you know, after four days out in the forest and staying up late and all that, you're kind of, you're kind of beat, you know? Sure. I wind up leaving and driving back to New Jersey and I forget my trail cameras. <laughs> so uh, next day I'm off from work. And uh, I said to my wife, who was also off, I said, hey, you want to take a ride up to New York? And we drove back <laughs> up another three hours and uh, met up with Brian. And I went to, you know, to where the base camp was. Mm-hmm. And they retrieved, we retrieved the first one by uh, the kitchen area. And when I get to the other one onto the, onto the trail where the, the Y in the trail was, all the apples and apple cider donuts were gone and there wasn't any remnants and like, you know, something nibbling on them like a possum or something, right. Or a raccoon. Mm -hmm. They were gone except for the two apples that were in the tree that had the camera. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm thinking, Oh man, I got some of the best footage ever. Right. I can't wait to get home with this. So (laughs) I get home and I stick the, the SD cards in my laptop and I look at the first one from the kitchen area, just a few deer overnight, you know, I'm thinking, okay, the next one had nothing on it, not even the pictures of me setting up the camera. Really? I felt like I got kicked in the gut. Yeah. Like, I'm not even kidding. This is a this is a decent, you know, newer camera. Mm-hmm. I was so disappointed. You have no idea because I 
uh, you know what I I figured I think I think they actually took the SD card out and they they checked it out and they said oh this one's blurry this one's blurry this one's blurry they're all blurry or maybe not maybe they were really good and they said well he can't have this and they deleted everything off the SD card I don't know <laughs> <laughs> the Bigfoot <laughs> yeah I mean who else could have done it right? <laughs> yeah I don't know because they usually do you get the ones where you're setting it up and you get the ones where you're picking it up again but. Uh, you know, if those are missing as well, that's you know. Well, there are there are those people, uh, and and there may be merit to it. There, there's uh, First Nations precedent for them having magic or or some abilities that seem to transcend ours. And and quite honestly, I don't I don't know what to do with those kind of claims because I I mean, right. even though I'm into the paranormal, I've had a lot of weird experiences, many many weird experiences. I still have uh, this this. I don't know if it's a, a this precedent of using logic. Like, uh, it, it, I don't understand what that means to have, you know, the this disappearing creature that may have uh, many different abilities may ha- may affect um, equipment. But there are so many claims, Eric, of people mm-hmm. hanging out equipment and the equipment going haywire, and uh, right. beyond explanation, like they're, they're experiencing something. Some field, perhaps it's electromagnetic, perhaps it's something else that really interferes with how these things work. And and it is mm-hmm. compelling. I mean, I don't think you can dismiss those things either, though, you know? No, no, not at all. And we call it, we, of course, we call it the curse of the Sasquatch. But yeah. as you know, in your field with paranormal research, oftentimes you'll go into a, a location mm-hmm. and all of a sudden these batteries in the camera yes. and the recording devices that you know were brand new or charged mm-hmm. are now dead, right? right. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, hey, my battery's dead. What's going on? You right. know? So I don't know. I, I, I totally agree. I'm a, I'm a real flesh and blood kind of guy as far sure. as what these individuals are. I pretty much have held to that belief this mm-hmm. whole time. But I will tell you this, that, and we did a recent episode on our Squatch Talks podcast with the, uh, with the, we called it paranormal parallels. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, the guys were kind of, you know, nudging me to, to be willing to talk about this. And I kept putting it off and putting it <laughs> off, but sure. I didn't want to turn off, turn off any of the uh, Bigfoot believers, you know? Right. And so it's gotta be discussed though, because yeah. what happened to me in Pennsylvania totally changed my mind okay mm-hmm. i had an experience up there on uh, nathan's last expedition in september of 21 that i'll tell you what has definitely opened up my eyes to some things and made me kind of go hmm you know now i'm not i'm still not ready to go towards the light with the intradimensional thing and sure. the, you know, the portals thing okay mm-hmm. i don't believe they come down from ufos right. they might be just curious creatures and you know my my friend art brought up that hey maybe they're getting abducted by sure. ufos and aliens just like people might be you know what i mean right. so that was kind of an interesting concept right um but yeah we were we were on the last night of ops at, at Nathan's expedition, and I'll tell you, you know, he gave us uh, assisting investigators and organizers the option of where we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And he told, he, he said, oh, this one's called Dead Woman's Hollow. And I said, well, that's where my team's going. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing was that I had some of the uh, older out-of-shape guys on mm-hmm. my team because they were told they were going to have to walk in about 300 yards and then set up a base camp from sure. the road, right? Uh-huh. Well, meanwhile, I get in and I hadn't, I didn't have the opportunity to, to scout it out during the day. So I get in there 
and uh, 300 yards in, I'm like, nah, this is no good. So <laughs> we start heading up the trail, okay? Oh. And there's a definite, like, incline. Uh -huh. And we get up to a certain point, and I could tell a couple of the guys were getting a little, uh, you know, overexerted. Sure. So I said, well, let's stop here. We'll set up a little base camp like I did up in BC, you know, with a, a team I was on. Mm -hmm. No kidding. Uh, not even a minute. I'm still unzipping my bags. I'm saying, you know, when I get set up, I like to open up my pack so I don't make any noise. I open up my snacks so I don't make disruptive noises, right? Mm -hmm. I go when I open my, my bag of peanut butter filled pretzels and they fly out of the bag. And just then we hear a howl come from across the ravine from the ri next ridge over. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievable, this Ooh. howl, okay? So I quickly grab one of my digital recorders and turn that one on. And then I reach for my, my recording stick that I use with very high-powered Kimber audio uh, microphones, right? Uh -huh. And and I'll tell you, I got two out of the three howls. Oh, nice. <laughs> Wow. And I and I looked over to one of the other um, members of my team, who's also an investigator, and I said, "Did you have your recorder going?" He says, "Yes, Eric, I did, because you always taught me that I should turn it on <laughs> when we get out of the truck." <laughs> oh, awesome! Very good. But his glitched, so he didn't get it either. You know, so I don't know what the what to say. That is incredible, but. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that oftentimes you hear people say, well, we take a strictly scientific approach, but if that were the case, then you have to consider every possibility. The, right. the, the truly scientific approach is to consider any potential variable until you can systematically remove it. And mm -hmm. none of Occam's this, razor, right? That's there what we you call go. It. Sure. Yeah. Occam's razor. razor. Um, but you can't dismiss these things just because they don't fit into your into what you may believe or into your paradigm and and I think that that's that's important but I understand the struggle of that as well I always keep an open mind and I never mm -hmm. put down anybody else's beliefs or opinions you know right. what I mean and I always take suggestions from other people and I always ask for their you know input right mm -hmm. but let me let me just tell you where the paranormal you know connection came in that night okay after that we hung out there and thermed the area and we you know had a little bit more activity. But after that, I, I said, let's continue up a little further. Okay? <laughs> so we start heading back up this trail again. Again, they get tired and exhausted. So I said, okay, here, we're going to split up and do like a Pied Piper type of thing. I'm going to leave half the team here. Mm -hmm. And you guys, you know, will have a therm and, and recording devices. And me and two other guys start heading up the trail further. We get to this bend in the trail where there's a downed branch and it had green leaves on it. It was like a Y shape. We cross over this branch and we start to go around the bend and it got 20 degrees colder. We could now see our wow. breaths coming out of our mouth. Mm -hmm. The wind started whipping up, could no longer hear the creek in the ravine below us. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, right there, that was strange. All right. I look at my watch and I'm saying, wow, wow, it's already one. I said, it's 134. Boy, time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> so we continue hiking up because we were trying to reach a, a clearing up on this on this higher elevation where they had done some some track uh, traps the previous expedition and they had some results, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the attendees that I had left back at the other um, location had a thing on his fancy thinking box where it said it was only fifteen hundred, you know, away. Well, I think it meant 1,500 in elevation, not in yards <laughs> or whatever. But uh, sure. so we got, you know, uh, further down this trail. And I said, well, I don't think we're going to get to where I want to be. But I said, let's do some back and forth provocations. Mm -hmm. So I radioed down the patty and I said, hey, can you do a couple of your whoops? Could not hear her whoops. 
I did a couple of wood knocks. They couldn't hear my wood knocks. Okay. So I did a call and I have a pretty decent call. Mm -hmm. They couldn't hear me. So this is unusual, right? Right. I'm standing there and I look across the trail and I see what looks like a white headlamp about eight feet off the ground, about 15, 20 feet away from me. Okay. And I'm thinking, what is that? A star or is it a, you know, the moon shining through the trees? I couldn't, I couldn't tell what it was. I thought maybe there's a trail runner. Mm -hmm. You know, they have these ridge runners that hike and run at night. But I'm just kind of swaying back and forth trying to say, and then maybe 20 seconds later, it just slowly dropped down and extinguished. Wow. And I learned, I looked to my right to the other two guys and I said, hey, did you guys see anything? And Tony says, I saw a flash. Mm-hmm. And I went, and I started to say, and he goes, well, well before you say anything, he's, you guys talked earlier about getting, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, zapped? I said, yeah, he said it right. He goes, can you tell me about that? I said, well, that's when people feel that they may have experienced some infrasound or something that affects them. Either they get a headache or nauseous or dizzy. Sure. They may have some you know, digestive disruption, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, well, I had something like pressing on my forehead. He's sitting in his camp chair at this point, pressing on my forehead to the point where I had to sit down. And he's a big guy. LEO. Okay. He's, he's no, and then Jeff and I both felt like our stomachs were knotted up. Okay. Mm. I'll tell you what, I, it's just, that's never happened to me before. We've seen flashes of light and red, you know, red blips moving through the air and stuff, but never have I seen a light like this. All right. Sure. Um, so as we're heading back down, I look at my watch again, I go, Oh, it's only one 15. The night is young. And then I realized, wait a minute, oh, did we have like a time variant, right. you know? Yeah. Either that or I read my watch wrong. I could be too. You know, at that point, I'm tired after a few nights of, you know, lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what that's what did it for me. Right? Yeah, that's absolutely. Opened my mind up to the uh, possibilities. And that comes up uh, quite often too, as far as people seeing orbs in a lot of the same act, uh, areas of activity as, as Bigfoot. And I don't know that that, that one necessarily means the other you know like a lot of people like to attach these things together like hey i saw a flying saucer and then i saw a bigfoot so clearly it must come come out from the flying saucer which i i agree i don't i don't I, at least i don't subscribe to that idea that they were dropped off or that they're extraterrestrial and and it's because there's such an extended history of them not only in in uh our modern age, but in our ancient time with the first nations, they have such a long history with these things. It's not like they're just pulling up in the, in the, in the extraterrestrial, you know, minivan and hopping out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, but I, I do find it interesting and it, and it maybe speaks to areas of high energy, um, in terms of potentially ley lines or other esoteric convergences of some kind that interact with the environment and, and prove to be good spots for them as well as other types mm. of phenomena, maybe. I don't know. Well, uh, it's interesting that you brought up the ley lines because Brian on a recent episode was talking about how the ley lines, and that's something he wants to do more research into, mm-hmm. they actually go through his area in southern New York, oh. Nathan's area in Pennsylvania, and also through my area in the Pine Barrens. So oh, we're going to investigate that further and see if there is a correlation. Um, but real quick, I, I remember you asking me about like my experience with the pressing in on the fabric over yeah. the tent, right? Yeah. And you said, what can I 
kind of you know related to. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Willow Creek, right? No. But I there's don't. a scene in Willow Creek where the 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 couple are in the tent and there's something that they hear approaching them outside. Okay. And it's like you know making noises, branch snaps and stuff. Mm-hmm. Every time I've seen that, it's like I get PTSD <laughs> from that experience that I had laying there on my back with the hand pressing over. Okay. Yeah. So that's the best way I can relate that. And now here at my place. Out back, if I look beyond the garage, I can see coming through the trees behind my retention pond, this white light that looks like a headlamp coming through the trees. So every time I walk out now at night, I get PTSD from this headlamp <laughs> experience that I had up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So keeps it real, keeps it fresh. I bet, I bet it does. Reset your <laughs> pulse. It's like instant CPR every time, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, it's it's been an epic conversation, and I thank you so much for making the time to come on the show with me. It's It's been a phenomenal discussion, and I think one which we need to have more of. Uh, so I'd love to get you back, and, and we'll continue this discussion and talk about more of the phenomena, if you don't mind. Not at all, and I appreciate you again having me on, and I hope that your listeners enjoy it as well. And, you know, we had talked about maybe my uh, my co-hosts coming on and we doing something in the future with them as sure. well. Absolutely. And and before you go, I want you to take a couple minutes and let people know how to stay in touch with what you're doing about your show and, and anything else you want to plug them into. Oh, thanks. Well, we're at, you know, on YouTube at Squatch Talks Podcast. There's also on Facebook at Squatch Talks Podcast. And we have a, a Gmail account, Squatch Talks Podcast at Gmail. And also the website is nasbro.net. But that's that's got to be revised a little bit. Nasbro is, again, the organization Art and I started. But I definitely want to revise that and, and bring it up to speed to go along with the new podcast, uh, you know, Absolutely. as well. Excellent. And how many episodes do you have in the podcast right now? Well, on YouTube, we have 10. Okay, okay. perfect. Um, I've only got three up on, because I'm not sure we had talked to them. I'm not sure where I'm going to keep the uh, actual podcast in the future, but right now we're on Buzzsprout, so (laughs) we'll see what happens with that. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, those are all ways to stay in touch, and and you're also on social media as well, personally, right? Oh, absolutely, at Eric Spinner, sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there you go. So thanks again, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's great to talk to you again, and, and I do look forward to your next visit, man. This will be epic. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormal portal radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at paranormal portal, P O R T L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. We got hundreds of shows, journeys into the paranormal portal. So I hope you'll check it out. Check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash paranormal portal. So hope to see you guys soon uh we'll be back of course for more podcasts in the coming days so we love you all be good be kind be nice take care of each other help each other out find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can 